with Sir John and Mark. Gentlemen, we are live to the world. We're live on LinkedIn. We're live on Facebook. We're live on uh, YouTube. We're live on Twitter. And we're live on our podcast. Sir John, say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Mark, say hello to everyone. Good morning, all. Excellent. And uh, we are live with our ongoing series, AHDB with Beanstalk Talking Leaders with the, uh, Sir John, I was going to call you um, infamous, but that's completely the, the, the wrong way to describe you. So, Sir John, how, how would you describe yourself in a paragraph? How would I describe myself in a paragraph? Um, I suppose, in a way, I always feel like the local working class kid who made good. Um, you know, I never thought, you know, when, when my dad died when I was in primary school, uh, and it left me mum to raise two boys, boys in a place called Kirby in Liverpool, which is an overspill from the city centre after the, the Germans destroyed most of the, uh, the tenements there. So I ended up in growing up on the streets of Kirby, which I loved, um, and somehow ended up, yeah, kneeling in front of the Queen with putting a sword on his shoulder. <laughs> Great. Kind of unreal. So, yeah, the local kid who made good, yeah. If I can Excellent. do it, anybody can do it is probably the mantra. Well, so everyone, we've, we've got this amazing character on, uh, Sir, Sir, Sir John. And so before we do the deep dive, we, we better set a, a little bit of a context background uh, to this. We know how important it is to be inspired by both big businesses and individuals, uh, which is why we're excited to present this ongoing series of talking leaders with Mark and his uh, fantastic uh, colleagues from the AHDB, which will see a series of inspirational speakers, such as Sir John, as you're about to find out, share their life experiences and deliver impactful stories to the agri-leader community. So broadcast today, we have Sir John Jones discussing preparing yourself for a world that doesn't yet exist. Knighted in 2003 for his services to education, Sir John worked most of his professional life in challenging schools across the northwest of England. His last post being the head teacher of a large secondary school in Merseyside. His achievements and reputation for straight talking, leadership and creativity led him to be invited onto various organizations, panels and think tanks, including the National College for School Leadership the DFES Leadership Development Unit, the Teacher Development Agency's National Remodeling Unit, and visiting posts with both Manchester and Liverpool universities. Sir John retains a very down-to-earth approach to education, believing it is, it is about social change, never about just ticking boxes or meeting targets. Covering an impressive range of educational issues from leadership and inclusion to organizational development and future thinking, Sir John is guaranteed to give all of those who come into contact with him food for thought, practical ideas that will make a difference and a genuine and moving sense of awe at the power teachers have to change young lives. So, John, how was that? Was that a good description? Well, Max, I wish my mum could hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't, didn't, the, didn't the Queen say that to you? She did say something and I can't remember what it was. People oh, come on. Speak to you. I said, yeah. And on video, we're both laughing, but Goodness knows what we said. I was so nervous. I, I bet, I bet you were. And, and so, John, we're obviously going to major on you, but just for those uh, those people who aren't fully aware of the HDB, whether that be in the UK, who, who doesn't know who the HDB is in the UK? But also for our international viewers and listeners, Mark, can you just give a bit of an understanding as to uh, the HDB, uh, who you are, what you do, and also a little bit uh, about the Talking Leaders series, um, just so, so we can ice the proverbial cake, please, Mark. Yeah, of course I can, Max. So the AHDB, the Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board, we're a statutory levy body. 
um, where we provide services to farmers and growers um, to, in essence, to prevent market failure and to develop their businesses. Um, so my role within that is, is a knowledge exchange manager. So I take all of the research development insight from around the globe, the market opportunities that we open up and feed that back to the farmer to make them more sustainable, more resilient um, uh, and more profitable. So and an exciting, what, what about an exciting year coming up for the AHDB? Yeah, huge going on for the AHDB and, and lots um lots coming in uh, we're giving all producers the opportunity to vote for to prioritize how their levy um, is spent so the key areas so we can we can understand that and then this program here agri-leader um, which uh, is not necessarily technically focused i.e talking about growing crops and looking after soil and how to get the best out of your animals but actually focusing on the the leadership of the management and the people development because we need people in farms and on farms to actually develop this and that's where this this fun series um, idea came from. And, and so, John, it's it's worked so well that uh, Mark and his team they've been they've been so mercurial, finding really interesting, sometimes odd, but fascinating uh, people to come in and challenge um, our, our farming community. We, we obviously all, all love um, farmers, but if this, well, it's not criticism really, Mark, but it's um, um, we, we can all get very myopic, so John, in our lives, can't we? And sometimes to be challenged by people from outside the sector to just get a, a different way of thinking, a different way of um, appreciating things. Uh, to, to challenge people. So, John, we think is a, is, a, is a really healthy thing to do. So, John, would you agree? Well, yeah, because it, it's so easy to get stuck, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think I was, I had to write something yesterday um, as an article for a magazine, some leadership magazine, and um, and and I, it, it was about education, really, particularly, but I think this is true of, of most organisations that, um, you know, that over the last centuries, we you kind of, We've developed a system, particularly in the UK, where the principles of like standardization, linearity, control, conformity, compliance, they're the things that they're almost Victorian. You know, you do as you're told, you know your station and, you know, people up there know best. You just obey their commands. And that's the way it works. And that's the way it's always worked. And one of the uh, one of the most frightening phrases people use to me is when I go into organizations and say, why do you do it this way? The most frightening response is we've always done it. Oh, better. no. Uh, and, and there's a stuck person. And the, the, the terrible thing about being stuck is it's comfortable. It's cozy. It's like a warm woolly sweater in the middle of winter when you're out in the fields, you know, on a big, a big fresh pair of mittens on your hands. I mean, it's, it is comfortable being stuck. And yet, the world out there is changing. You know, somebody once said change is mandatory. In other words, it's happening. Growth is optional. You don't have to do it. You can stay exactly where you are. But status quo, certainly in the, in the, the modern world, is not an option. Well done. Well done. And again, that's one of the reasons why we were keen to, to, to get you on, to, to, to give, give us a steer as to um, the, the, this world that doesn't exist. But we're just coming back to the agricultural sector. Um, have, you, have you presented? Um, have, have you been to um, conferences in the agricultural sector before? I have, yeah. I had the, uh, I've done the the National Dairy Farmers Conference Fantastic. Uh, a couple of times, and I worked down in uh, in your part of the world in Brighton. Yeah, There's yeah. A fantastic agricultural college, isn't there? In um, yeah, Plumpton College. 
That's absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, where didn't you used to work there, Mark? Or yeah, you... I, was, I was the curriculum lead for agriculture and food down there. And that's where we first met, John. He's exactly right. And uh, and they have. Have you seen the new uh, campus that they have there? And and I delivered to all the staff there in this wonderful marquee set in the, the gardens. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm used to being asked to do talks to what I regard as a, as a very strange audience for me, because if they're all about education and learning, well, I'm in my comfort zone. But yeah. when I'm talking to uh, the, the national, you know, dairy farmers, that, that's kind of a skiing off piece for me. And um, shall I tell them the story about me, me cup of tea? You, 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 you've, seen, you've seen me coming a mile away from that one, please, because I think it's hilarious. Tell everyone what happened at the conference. Now you nearly got thrown out. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was in, uh, I think it was the Edinburgh conference. And uh, it was. I did the first part of my talk and then we had a coffee break. And uh, and I went, I, I drink tea. So I went to get me a cup of tea. And uh, there was a guy behind serving the stuff and he was like a man mountain, you know, he had hands like bin lids. So he was, you know, very agricultural. And, uh, and he said, how do you like your tea? And I said, well, just wheat black tea. And uh, he basically said to me, you can bugger off. <laughs> This is the National Dairy Farmers. You're having milk in you. He said, put as much as you want. <laughs> well, that was an awakening for me. You see, there I was stuck in my comfort zone and he got me right out yeah. of it. Yeah, read, read the room, Sir John. Read the room. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 guys, guys, let's just explore this, this, this topic of um, preparing yourself for a world that doesn't yet exist. I, I, I suppose for... Uh, for, for for the three of us, we've got these generations coming up behind us and uh, children, oh, so John, children are so fundamentally key to where we're going to take take everything. So John, how, how can we prepare children, our kids for their future careers when, when currently those, those jobs, those roles that don't, don't exist? Going, going back to your point about these people that we've all met who are just caught in the comfort zone and we've always done it this way, everything is evolving so fast, I can't work out whether it's evolution or, or, or revolution. But so, John, how, how do we prepare our children for these jobs that don't exist? What, what do you think, please? Well, yeah, let me tell it. Let me tell you a story which kind of captures the challenge. I um, once there was a, when I was a head teacher in a, a school in Liverpool, there was a piece of graffiti. It was the best piece of graffiti I ever saw. It was on a classroom wall, and um, it said, um, "My dream is to live forever. So far, so good." <laughs> and uh, I thought, brilliant. And the head of uh, English, because we're in an English classroom, came storming into my office and uh, he said, have you seen the, the graffiti on that wall? And I was about to apologise. And he said, oh, don't apologise, he said. There's, uh, there's speech marks, there's a comma in it. It starts with a capital letter. It ends with an exclamation mark and it's got a semicolon right in the middle. <laughs> That it's a grammatical masterpiece, and then he, then he asked me for a wage rise, you know. But uh, anyway, we sent for the boy who'd put this up, who was responsible for it, and I said, "What's what's with the graffiti?" And he looked. He said to me, "Well, sir," he said, "the future is important to me. It's where I intend to spend the rest of my life." He was obviously a, a clever kid, you know. Wow. And uh, and then he looked me square in the eye and he said, "Is that future safe in your hands?" Oh. And, and you know. I took that back to the staff and I said, you know, that's the question. Is their future safe in our hands? Because, you know, 
I said we've lived for so long in a comfort zone. You see, education particularly just repeats itself. Yeah. So if you look at the 1904 curriculum regulations, it, the curriculum that's presented then is almost the same as we do today. Really? I mean, there are some differences. There were they had husbandry and uh, whiffery. Um, so, but but they in a way have morphed into what we call design technology and food technology. You know, so we've still got the same subjects and we're still doing it. And the examination system still kind of examines just a very narrow aspect, your ability to recall facts and some kind of ability of deductive reasoning. So the whole system hasn't changed. But in answer to your question, Max, the, the good news is there are some great people around, like if you ever want a good book to read, read The World is Flat by um, uh, Friedman. I've forgotten his first name. Um, Friedman's book, he talks about how the world is changing. But if you look at what the OECD um, are coming up with and the World Economic Forum, you know, they're saying, you know, what we're going to need all of us to survive in the future is basically creativity, ingenuity, agility, adaptability, and sociability. Wow. And when you think about it, you know those five things I gave you before, you know, the control, conformity, compliance ones? Yeah. They are exactly the opposite to those five principles. So they are the things that if I was speaking to any audience, I'd say, put those things down on a piece of paper and have a look at the way you operate, whether it's running a farm or running a school, where do you measure up against creativity, ingenuity, agility, adaptability, and sociability? You know, do you use other people? You know, one of the great things about COVID is something that I call compassionate solidarity. Didn't it feel, you know, those Thursday evenings when we yeah. stood outside the gate and we were clapping and banging pans with our spoons yeah. to applaud the NHS and the key workers? There was a real sense of what I call compassionate solidarity. And that's key to survival in that modern world so if i could give you a mantra it would be quick to change swift to adapt and slow to complain in other words you've got to get on with it but staying still is not an option well well done and that that curriculum from not 1903 as we go through this this this, this pandemic change and the and, and the internet change there's, there's a one of my throwaways, um, the, the likes of the gig economy, um, where um, perhaps full-time jobs aren't going to be here. And there's the predictions that the 16-year-olds of today, by the time they retire, they could have upwards of 60 different jobs. On a, on, and most of these will be on a contract basis, six months here, nine months there, three months off, traveling the world, come back again, do six months off. Do, do you think education is still going to be um, pre presented, de delivered in the in the same in the same format, or, or or do you think that's going to fundamentally change? No, that will fundamentally change, and you're absolutely wow. right. Certainly, my generation, the principle of a job for life was was enshrined, wasn't it? And you worked yeah. till you were this age, and then you got your clock, and then you retired on the state pension, and yeah. that that was enshrined. And you're right now, our kids operate by a job for the life of the contract. You know, one of the great problems we have in, in teaching at the moment is te young teachers particularly are leaving the profession after three, four, five years. And, and it, I think part of it is to do with workload and the pressure and so on. But much of it as well is to do with the fact that they, they don't see themselves as doing the same thing for, for decades the way we yeah. just expected to. And yeah. in fact, we were encouraged to. 
So that is going to change. I mean, there was a study out of um, Oxford University a few years ago that said that that 50% of all the jobs that we do today are going to disappear in the next two decades. Now, two decades is nothing. You know, it goes like this. And when you, you know, if it was saying the next 200 years, you could almost live with it. But in two decades. Now, the problem we have today is in, say, Victorian times, I mean, the motor car in the early part of the 20th century killed the horse, didn't it? So we had all these, you know, the people who looked after the horses, the blacksmiths and so on. You know, what could they do? Because all their jobs disappeared. Well, they became motor mechanics and they changed direction slightly. So the way the way employment worked is we were able to readapt the skills we had. What is happening now is automation and computerization is taking over all those jobs that were kind of mundane. And, and, and I've always had the view that if a computer can do it, let it. Yeah. The problem with that is it's left a lot of people with time on their hands. And, and certainly, you know, my daughter, uh, she's got about three jobs at the moment. Wow. You know, it, it's, and, and, you know, I know certainly my mum and dad would have panicked if I'd been doing what they're doing. But, you yeah, know, yeah. one of those is running her own business. You know, they're comfortable with yep. with running their own business and of course the big advantage they have is this machine that we're talking on now yep because they yep. can they can access i mean when you think about it now every one of our young people out there they're a, they can be a movie producer they're influencers they they're writers they're yep. musicians and they can get their their abilities and their talents out to huge yep. audiences it's, yeah. it's quite staggering for somebody of my generation just yeah. to get your head around that potential. And, so although and, it's, and, it seems a bit bleak when you think about jobs disappearing, um, there, there are certain jobs that computers can't do. Anything that involves creativity, imagination, uh, yeah. people skills, empathy, you know, those kind of things computers can't do. Yeah. So there's still a huge scope for employment. It yeah. just won't be in the way that we know it. So, so uh, three, three points on that, if, if, I, if I can remember all of them. Um, the, the previous Bank of England uh, governor, um, when would this be? About five, six years ago, he stated that within 10 years time, there would be um, upwards of half a million white collar jobs um, that would be made redundant because of the advent of technology being um, accountants and solicitors. It, it's, it, it's, it's, it's appalling, really. We don't want solicitors out of a job, do we? That, that would be that would be I'll move on it's my, my love my love of solicitors um but but also on a, on a farming perspective um Mark and I will remember some of the farms that we've worked on previously and back in the day they had 60 70 people on that farm so John because of the of, of these as he said because of the amount of um horses that they had and then the mechanization came, came through and then just bring it up today um today we're, we're aware of a farm um, in Lincolnshire about three years ago, uh, they couldn't find um, a tractor driver for this particular farm. So that the farmer had been very creative. He advertised for a outdoor software engineer um, because this tractor is quarter of a million pounds worth of computer um, uh, planting seed in, into the ground. And it needed someone with computer skills to be, actually, uh, to, to be able to run it. And he got a dozen applications in of people from a software background who, when they saw that it was a farm and it was outdoors and uh, this amazing uh, kit, and it was all talking to the satellites and so on and so forth, um, he, he offered the, uh, the position to uh, an individual uh, who's now on that farm as the overall farm, farm manager, but he was initially a software engineer. And now he's a tractor driver. 
So, so just and, and just trying to link that up with your with your with your with your daughter's experience. And I suppose, Mark, this is what we're also hoping to find. And um, post COVID, there's a lot of people interested in the food sector. So if we've got kids coming out of um, out of school and they don't want to become an accountant or a solicitor for the reasons discussed, but they want to be outdoors, but they want to be with groundbreaking technology. Um, Mark, what do you reckon? There'd be, there'd be some fascinating opportunities to be had in, in agriculture for them. There's, yeah, exactly. That is huge amounts of opportunity. I think consumers are showing more interest in where their food comes from and, uh, and the sector than ever, ever before, um, whether it be from COVID, whether it be from Jeremy Clarkson and Clarkson's farm. We've got a great awareness. But I think some of the points that you made, Sir John, um, in terms of young teachers leaving schools, um, because it's it's that's the part of their career that's ticked off and they're moving on to the next fact. Farmers are probably in that similar thing. They don't understand why John or Sarah doesn't want to work on their farm for the rest of their days. It's because they want to do that part of the skills to gain some experience to be able to move on to the next thing. And I think the mindset shift we need in the industry is to understand that the job is for the project, not for life, and that you shouldn't feel bad that someone's actually wanted to leave your business. You should feel that you've gained, provided those skills and that experience for that individual to move on in their career journey, which is yeah. something we need to work on um, as a sector to 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 to, to allow that. But absolutely, and Mark, so John, it's it's all about making your business as as attractive as as possible. Um, it's it's always great to see when uh, when a farm's got a new website up and they're constantly refreshing it with. Farmers have got beautiful pictures, especially Sir John. This time of year, uh, of year with uh, some amazing dawns that, that were happening at the moment to make them as um, as, as attractive as, as possible. So, Sir John, what, what about this one? When, when I, I left, that, Max, can I add? Go, go, Sir John. I watched, I watched a podcast um, the other night about um, uh, milking. It was a dairy farm, and it, he said, "I'll take you to the milking shed." Milking shed was a complete misnomer. I mean, this thing was a hundred <laughs> meters long. They had all these cattle in. It was totally computerized. They had robots who milked the cat. I mean, it was the most staggering high-tech thing I've ever seen. But you know, one of the things that, that surprised me in this was that only a third of all the milk we produce ends up in a bottle, you know, yeah. because yeah. much of it is going to cheese, yogurt. Yeah. Although I was staggered as well, Mark, to, 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 to hear that um, we still import cheddar cheese. Um, so there are there are all sorts of interesting things going on out there that the, 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 when you just say a farm or a milking shed, you know, or a classroom, um, we have these kind of dated images in our head that we carry that are nothing like the reality. The advantages of our, that our kids have is they don't have those stultifying images. Yep, they, yep. They, they, they think this way. We yeah, still yeah. tend to think this way. Yeah. And, and just on, on that point, it, it is a it is a small world. I, I won't name them, but there's a particular agriculture university who, when I was doing a, a broadcast for them, they, they bemoaned the fact that there was a lack of ambition from the current students to go travel in, internationally. Um, so, John, as we were saying in the, in the green room, with your with your love of uh, of France, France is beautiful, uh, but the, the the likes of South America, uh, South Africa. Um, yeah. Australia, other countries are, are available. Within agriculture, there's so much to be to be learned there. And I, I was very, very blessed with my, my college 
university education. I, I did a year on cotton farming in, in Australia, and it was the, it was the making of me. So if, if anyone who's um, listening, we have a number of people, number of uh, students that John um, that dial in. So students or, or or the families, get those kids out when when we can. Get those kids out to experience the the, the, the world because they're going to come back uh, far even more interesting and, and even more uh, colourful in, individuals because of the experience that, experiences that, that, that they're going to have. So, John, yeah, what... no, I, I had one myself. Uh, I went to work in Malaysia and they wow. have the towers with which are trees, really, and plants growing out of them. And I was talking with the guy who looked after them and he said, uh, this is the way farms of the future will be. They'll be in the middle of city centres and they'll yep. grow into the sky. And, and on every floor or out of every window of it, although that's probably a misnomer as well, whatever they will look like, yeah. they will be high rise farms in the middle of yep. centers, providing all of our needs. You know, I mean, that, that's a kind of, just getting your head around that one is, is so exciting, isn't it? But, but the, in a way that's good news. The bad news is, I think our kids are very switched on to all, organic foods. They're switched on to animal welfare, Yep. Um, they're also aware, you know, I was reading some statistics about, you know, that, that they probably won't eat as much meat as we do because is it livestock contributes to something like 15% of greenhouse gases. So we've got to, we've got to kind of sort that out. And I think it's um, that um, it, it, they use up, livestock uses up 26% of the world's land mass. So in a way, when you think about it, it took the whole of time I think it was about 1750, the mid 18th century, for the world's population to reach a billion. And, you know, we're very now, we're very close to nine to 10 billion. And that's in just, well, since 18, well, since 1750 to today, yeah. all those billions of people have arrived and we're going upwards to 10 billion. Yeah. So sustainability is going to be a huge issue. So there's a lot of things in the melting pot at the moment that are, Worrying, but also exciting. exciting what yeah. young people will do if we give them creativity and ingenuity is they'll think a way through these and they'll make the world a better place. I have no doubt. Yeah, and, and there's definitely that, that momentum um, in our recruitment business. We're seeing uh, uh, farm owners who are now looking for farm managers majoring on the fact they want someone uh, to come in as a farm manager to major on sustainability, regenerative agriculture, carbon neutrality. So if you've got the old guard looking to do that and the, and the young guard coming through as well, yeah, it's, it's going to be hugely, hugely exciting. The, so John, just, just changing the, the tax slightly, how, how do you think education is going to be delivered in, in, in years to come? With, with, the, with the caveat from me, and I'm sure Mark's exactly the same with his education, that when I, when I left college, university, my, um, my principal lecturer said, coming to university, Max, was 10% work and 90% learning about life. And thank God he told me that at the end and not, not, not the beginning. But all, all of my, my best mates and all my connections and all my great, great times have, all, have been through that initial foundation of going, going to university. Um, go, go to college. Um, do you think there's a that there's such a a, a, a clamor for e-learning that's um, today, Johnny, uh, Michelle, you don't have to go to university. You can learn everything online. Just pick the modules that you want. But they're not going to learn that interaction, those, those people skills, that those communication skills. Just so, John, how do you think education is going to be delivered in, in years to come, please? Well, uh, that's an interesting one. You see, education has kind of evolved. I mean. In the old days, it was delivered. I mean, the teacher was the walking encyclopedia. I mean, we, we didn't yeah. have Google, well did we? 
Yeah. Um, the teacher was the walking encyclopedia was, you know, and often it was the, the priest or the vicar in the village um, because they had education. They were the only people who could read. So they had to pass on this information. The trouble is we kind of, when we built schools, we built them around little boxes with the walking encyclopedia at the front and the learners sitting in rows, soaking it all up. But, uh, you know, I was a, I, I, a, a, a student once in a classroom I was in, put his hand up and said to the teacher, sir, why do I need a teacher when I've got Google? And um, isn't that a fantastic question? Wow. Yeah, and, awesome um, question. and I, this teacher was great because what I say to teachers is, look, you're not there to provide answers anymore. You're not the walking encyclopedia. You're there to ask brilliant questions and recognize their brilliant questions. So this teacher just said, fantastic question and walked away and he, he said he called it letting the silence do the learning he said and if you leave it long enough the kids will fill the silence and this student did he just looked this teacher in the eye and he said teachers are stupid now this this teacher had obviously been on behavior management courses because the secret of behavior management managing other people is is the ability to uh, is the smiling eyes of the teacher and the ability to be an actor, not a reactor. So he stayed calm and said, "Well, I am a teacher. Would you like to develop that point?" And this this boy said, "Yeah, teachers are the only people on the planet who ask you a question to which they already know the answer." He said, "That's stupid." And when you think about it, wow, that is ludicrous. Imagine if you were walking down the road and you'd ask a yeah, passerby, "Excuse me, can you tell me where the station is?" And they say, "Yeah." It's second on the left, and you go, I know, well done. <laughs> you know, if that's ludicrous, but that's happening in classrooms still all over the world. So, um, you know, the, the teacher still wouldn't answer the question, and, and Sarah put her hand up, and she said um, to the teacher, say, you're struggling with the answer to the Google question, aren't you? And he said, I am, Sarah, will you help me? And she said, yeah. She said, I'm going to go to university to study history because Mrs. Smith didn't teach me history she taught me the love of history. You see, Google can teach you history all day long. It can't give you the love of history. Well done. That's Smith's job. So that role for the teacher will not disappear. But the walking encyclopedia is completely out of date. I mean, one of the great things about COVID is that it's given teachers the confidence to teach online. Yeah. It's kind of moved us forward uh, quite a number of years in just a couple of years, the way people are now using online learning. Yeah. Because when you think about it, Google can take you anywhere in the world to any museum, any country, any particular incident in history. And, and I personally, now, if I want to know anything, I go onto YouTube. You know, the emergence of short video clips that are instructional yeah. is so powerful. So in answer to your question, we won't need probably physical buildings called schools. We certainly won't need classrooms. What we will need is the social interaction that you've got at university with other students and that the teachers have in terms of the student-teacher relationships. So you become a guide and a mentor for their self-directed learning. Wow. And, and, you know, I'll finish on this one. There was a woman called Jill Watson. I say a woman. Jill Watson is a computer, but Jill Watson at Georgia State University, I think it was, was voted best me learning mentor. Of all the learning mentors they have at the university, she was voted best uh, because she was the most helpful. She was always there to answer your questions. And Jill is a computer and nobody twigged it. 
I think on one occasion, they, are, they suddenly realized that something was amiss when one of the students uh, asked her out to dinner and, and she didn't know how to reply because it wasn't programmed in. <laughs> they should have programmed him. I'm sorry, I'm doing my hair, that, I'm washing my hair that night. But anyway, that, that's changed. He already in, in the United States, students are coming into school, sitting down with the teacher in the morning, planning their day, which is built around their personal preferences and their passions. And then they go off on a self-directed learning journey. Fascinating. You know, we're still locked into crowd control. We've got 1,500 kids. What are we going to do with them all day for 198 days a year or whatever it is? And we're still locked into that organizational problem. The computer and technology will free us of all of that. And students will be able to go on personalized learning programs. I think schools will probably become accreditation centers where you'll come in if you've got issues or they'll, you'll come in to kind of find out if you've reached a certain level and get on to the next level of ability. Does that yeah. make sense? It, 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 it does. Just go back to that Jill Watson one. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you've ever done this. I, I've got a Google Alexa at home and I, I ask Google Alexa, um, am I, Max, the most handsome? Some person in England, and there was this uh, there's this pause, and, and uh, she said, uh, "You are the one million three hundred fifty third uh, most handsome person yeah. in England." Yeah. So not doing that that, that again. Yeah. Just, but so John, just just linking that um, in with, uh, with with the with the community that that we have in in the farming sector, that uh, when they have new starters coming in, whether they be young or old, that there's a teaching element to bringing these people in. Go, going back to that. Um, that, that software programmer with the with the with the tractor earlier. So so what what would your advice be to those to those I hate the word employers um, to to those um, people running a business and, and bringing new new team members new colleagues in as to how they should look to learn from you and these changes. How should they train? How should they educate their their, their teams? Should it be the the mentorship mentorship um, and um, then getting them are going in their direction of self-discovery, whether it be YouTube or whether it be specific courses. How would you recommend employers teach their, their teams ongoing with this, this, new, this new technology, this new way of thinking? Well, one, one bit of good news is that, I, mean, I think it's good news. Some of the uh, head teachers and principals of prestigious public schools are now recommending to their students that they don't automatically go down the A-level route you know, three year, four years at university routes. They're actually the apprenticeship process, which is now beginning to boom again. You know, that the apprenticeship yes. program where you learn on the yep. job. Well done. Is the best way forward. Yep. And, and you get all those, you know, those kind of social interactions we enjoyed at university. You yep. get all those if you, I mean, if you become an apprentice for Microsoft or, oh. Apple, wow. you know, I mean, I mean, they may in the end decide you need a certain level of, of particular cognitive or, or knowledge to, to do this job. So they may send you off on a, a day a week to university. That's fine. You'll yeah. still do the book thing and the Google thing. But you the, inter, the social interaction and the social, I mean, I talked about the fifth skill was sociability, that ability to work with other people and get the best out of other people by the way you work and the relentless pursuit of excellence together in a group. I think the apprenticeship schemes are going to awesome. offer that opportunity in a way that we've never really, I mean, in the old days, they, 
the apprentices, you became like an apprentice electrician, didn't you? For yeah. five years, you earned a pittance. And, and then in a way, some of them were exploited, you know, and they became uh, what we used to call the can lads and made the tea and the coffee. Yeah. I think those days are well over. You know, the apprenticeship schemes now that I'm seeing, you know, they're well, they're well planned, they're well run. You know, the levels that, that the students are attaining are, are considerable. So yeah. I think in terms of... Um, the people who already are there who will be the mentors and the trainers well i've given them the list you know you're looking for creativity ingenuity agility yeah. adaptability and sociability and there's only one way to develop those kind of students and that is to surround them with adults and mentors who have those qualities so yeah. that's the pressure on the mentors and the teachers now yeah well, well said i, I can't yeah. believe I, i've I completely overlooked the, the apprenticeship um, scheme element. And, and on our uh, Beanstalk uh, broadcast, we've had some apprenticeships um, on, um, uh, apprentices on who, who've been, be, been amazing. And they've, act, they've act really quickly added value to those, to those businesses. So they've, they've got the best of both worlds, haven't they, Sir John, Mark, that they've got the osmosis from the, the formal education element of a, a day a week or um, uh, a day every other week, but also the, the, the learning effect from everyone um, around them. And I love that expression of, of being let, let go to grow, um, knowing that this person is, is competent, giving them all the skills, giving them all the tutoring and, and just seeing see them prosper. So I, th I think the apprenticeship schemes, as they become more in vogue, um, I'm not going to say that word uh, sexy, as they become more, more sexy to, to that age group, we should see a big uptick. uptick. And if, if you're going to be negative about universities, it's, it's um, going to, to university and doing three, four years and coming out with 30, 40 grand worth of student debt. Um, compared to an apprenticeship where you're earning all the way through and, and learning, actually might be might be more attractive. But Mark, what do you think? Apprenticeships? Do you think that's a, a way to go? Yeah, I think they're huge, hugely positive. And actually, AHDB have been very involved in the development of the new range of um, standards for for the industry. Um, and it's like you say, it's it's allowing that individual to 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 learn and develop whilst on the job. And I suppose thinking about some of the points you made, the five new skills, Sir John. Um, coming from the draconian Victorian era where the person at the front or the boss is the one that knows everything and thou must do it. We, we need to be a lot more flexible and adaptable to, to allow people coming into the industry to show creativity and, and, and such like to, to evolve within the business and become, I suppose the, the, the new boss is more of a facilitator. Um, there's still going to be lists of things that need doing and jobs that need doing, but to steer those individuals through them and not say, you must do this, that little x y and z by x yeah if yeah and, uh, you know mark you're absolutely right and and if i could get those people to understand one thing it, it is that they are the lead learner yeah you know that they're, they're not the boss they're not the font of all knowledge that that i mean don't they say that now that knowledge is knowledge is um progressing so quickly you know the knowledge on the internet internet now is doubling you know, and it's not in years, it's in hours, you know, the <laughs> amount of knowledge that's available. You can't hope to keep up with that. We're all learners. We're all wearing L plates. But that boss now is the lead learner. And if they could really get their heads inside that mindset, it would be fantastic. But also that has implications, that knowledge progress for universities, uh, Max, because, you know, when you think about it, if it's progressing so rapidly, a three-year university course, they reckon that by the time you get from the first year to the end of year three, by the, by the time you get to the end of year three, most of what you did in year one will be completely out of date. Yeah. 
Wow. So the, there's really a big question mark about whether the three-year course now, the way knowledge is progressing so rapidly, is yeah. is um, is relevant anymore. Yeah, and it's fascinating what you said about how, how you can see uh, not not the, the the demise, but the movement away from a, a physical school, and absolutely get that with universities as well. It, it, we, we've all got the, and also those kids that are being born today, they're predicted to live to the age of a hundred, so they're going to be retiring when they're when they're 70, 75. And so what I'm picking up is that there's going to it's just going to be a lifelong journey of education, um, and uh, how exciting that will be, and how those 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 tools will be there for you to keep on learning, keep keep on. Keep on learning about I suppose to John Mark, it's, it's just been able to install in people that enthusiasm, that that passion to, to keep on learning. Yeah. Well, uh, do you know, I read in the Times recently, Max, that the first person to live to 200 has probably already been born. Good grief. Isn't that, isn't that a staggering statistic? Mind boggling. Because yeah. okay. I think the other thing is that I think at the moment, uh, let me get let me get this right. Um, I wrote it down somewhere that um, life expectancy, you know, it, it's currently growing by two years a decade. So that's for us. Okay, so that's that's positive news, isn't it? So you, and life expectancy is growing two years every 10 years. But for our kids, it will grow by one year every year. And that wow. aging in Matt's world will be pre- will be regarded as a preventable disease. And okay. in the long term, so will dying. Okay. Okay. With the emergence okay. of prosthetics, Elon Musk's Neuralink, where they're putting um, chips inside people's yeah. brains, which they hope will cure things like Alzheimer's and dementia yeah. and blindness, and all sorts of things are going on out there. And they're already happening. Yeah, you know, yeah. although we're talking about the future as though it's out there, these things are already happening. My son left on Friday to go and work in Los Angeles, and his boss goes to work in a driverless car. <laughs> he just sits in his car and it takes him to work and he can have his breakfast on the way. Coming come, come to Everton soon oh, as, uh, as, as well. <laughs> so, 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 John, we're just, we're, unfortunately, we're just running out of time, but talking to you is is, is so mercurial. It's, it's talking to, to someone who, who, who can see the future um, and, and help us see through the fog. I, I've got to ask you a big hairy one, if that's okay. With, with this agricultural community that we've got in the UK and overseas, with, with especially with this elongation of, um, of life expectancy, everyone will want to eat fresh foods, um, well, well-grown food, sustainable food, and that's got to come from all of Mark AHDB's uh, members. Um, and so we're in, a, we're in a bit of a zeitgeist at the moment. We, we're very, as a sector, as a community, we're very attractive for people to come and, and work with us and um, stay with us. But where we are poor, and, and I hope a lot of people will, will agree with me on, on this one, is that we're not good at education. We're not good at training um, our, our, our teams ongoing because we're all so busy. It's such a reactive um, uh, se- sector. We've either got to harvest the crop or we've got to spray it or we, we've got to do, do something. We've got, we've got to, it's very difficult to get that time uh, to be able to, to train our people, to educate our, our teams ongoing. So, John, what would be your thoughts as to how we can all better ourselves within the agriculture community on education and learning ongoing? What, what would be your magic dust as to how we can train our teams so they can be successful and happy and enjoy the work they're doing? What, what would be your answer, please? Well, I think, I think um, 
it's, it's true of, of most busy professions that busyness, I call it the tyranny of busyness, that you become so busy that just keeping going what you're already doing, that there is no space left and certainly no energy left for progression and development. And so what we have to do somewhere in this cycle, in this busyness cycle, is, is be able to stop and say, right, let's have a period of reflection. You know, let's stop a group of people and give them time to do action research. Is there a way to do this better? Let's give people space to get up the road and see, you know, what the farmer up the road, what she's Excellent. doing up the road that's different to the way we do it. If we're too busy, we're not gonna have the opportunity for doing that. And I think as well, what you need is almost a national professional development program that provides world-class training. And that's the kind of world that Mark comes from. Well you know, done, that, yep. And, and we, we deliberately create the space within our busy schedules and put this as our top priority, that learning is so much more important than just getting the crop in this year. Now, I know that's hard to take because I watched, I mean, I loved the Clarkson series. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I didn't, I didn't like Jeremy Clarkson um, before I watched it, but I think the guy, you know, he's got a lot to commend him now. But I, all my friends, you know, their, their knowledge now of an agricultural kind of pressurized environment is, is immense. So it's, it's perhaps this profession, world-class professional development idea is an idea whose time has come because I think people are very aware all of a sudden of what it's like to be out there on the farm. Yeah, but we've got to take time out to reflect and take time out to research and take time out to train and make that your number one priority. Mark, 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 I'm going to pass it over to you, but just to, to get my caveat in, the best people I've ever met in business spend 20 to 25% of their working week thinking thinking as to how they can make their businesses and, and their teams better. Mark, over to you. I was just going to, uh, just a part of, that's such an important point in terms of that stepping back, getting off the hamster wheel, even if it's for half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, to reflect to see where the issue is. Because as we know, the industry is facing multitude of challenges at the moment. The kitchen sink's being thrown at it. Margins are really, really tight. In terms of developing staff, there still is... Um, People are worried about investing in people that then leave and move, and I can't get the return on that investment. That yeah, that that step back and reflection, and just to try and build some kind of, of of CPD program, whether it's nationally or whether it's internally within those businesses, is 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 really important. But yeah, take a step back and 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 see the wood from the trees. Excellent. Great advice. Uh, and Mark, before before we wrap up with Sir John, any, anything to ask of, uh, of of Sir John from your side, please. I suppose the only thing is, so John, you tell a very good story about um, uh, Sid Pigden and Ian Wright, the, the, the ex-Arsenal footballer, um, which Sid, Sid Pigden was his teacher and his inspiration and showed belief um, in, in where, uh, where uh, Ian went in his career. Does Sid Pigden look any different in 2050? Is it still the same type of person or will things change? No, I, 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 think, I think if there is an eternal truth, it is that the ability to be a warm, human-centered person uh, and, and to be the, you know, I always say, I, I ask teachers a hard question. Are you the kind of person, when you enter the classroom, the room lights up? Or are you the kind of person, when you leave the classroom, the room lights up? 
That's a tough question, but it's about human beings. I've forgotten the name of the guy who runs Starbucks, but didn't he famously say um, that he's not in the coffee business? He said he's in the people business and he serves coffee. Wow. And, and the, the people who are most successful today are the ones who realize that whatever you do, you're in the people business. And that in the end, you live or die by the quality of the people you nurture around you. And uh, that's Sid Pigton's message, you know, that we can't do without that. Computers cannot replace that, really. They can give you factual advice on things and they can even fight law cases for you, Max. You're right. They can do your accounts every year now. But what they won't be able to do is put an arm around you and say, you did well there. Yeah. So, so. Mark, what, what, a, sorry, Mark, anything else? No, 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 no. So, I, so Mark, what, what have we learned today? That, that's been a barnstormer uh, from, yeah. from Sir John. And I'm so pleased on the, on the back of that. And I hope you all listening in have, have picked up some really, some key points from, from Sir John and Mark there. So, I was going to sound jingoistic, but how to make you, you better and how to make your business better and how to progress your business. It's, it, it is a challenging time, but in, the, in a negative situation, there's always positives. And these tools that we've got coming to us, we can all adapt to, to our advantage, but it's just being able to have the, have the courage to, to adapt them. And I, I think my seminal point, Sir John, is, is for those people who have those leadership roles, there's challenges that can be, but to stop and think, to stand off as much as to stand off the, 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 the guinea pig wheel. Because when you when you stop and you, you think and you've got some clearance, you can actually see that this you've all, we've all got the, the answers to the problems, haven't we? It might have to debate them with a, with a, uh, with other people, but it's just having that time to stop and think um, as to how, how we can all develop our, our businesses. So, so, so John, anything from you to wrap up for, for the agricultural community, whether that be in the UK or internationally, please? Uh, um, yeah, I think just just to kind of bring in this notion of the future again. I think it was John Dewey was a famous educational philosopher. And he once said that if we teach the, if we teach the kids today the way we taught them yesterday, we will deprive them of their tomorrow. And I suppose you could adapt that phrase to any particular situation. You know, if you run your farm, the, run your farm today the way you run it tomorrow, you're depriving the world of its food for tomorrow you know, whichever way you see it. And if you can face that, that statement and hold your hand on your heart and say, I'm gonna try and do the things that we've talked about today, then as that kid said to me, is the future in safe hands with you, sir? Well, the future will be in safe hands, won't it, Max? Fantastic, well done. And I've just had a me message in, um, is Sir John still having milk with his tea? <laughs> careful, careful. Careful. <laughs> no, I've got to be honest, I don't drink black tea. <laughs> right, get them off. <laughs> Unless you're presenting at a dairy conference. I'm having on my cereals in the morning. Oh, there we go. We've got, we got, we got out of jail. Just to reiterate that. So John is having milk and the cereals in the morning. We are saved. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> Excellent. Gentlemen, that, that's brilliant. Sir John, you're, you're brilliant. Mark, well, well done for bringing uh, Sir John on. This has uh, been, been another great broadcast with the AHDB and on Talking Leaders, and we look forward to, to future ones. If you've got any questions um, of us, um, if you want to find out more about AHDB, have, have a look at the, the links and look out for, for, for Sir John. He, he's everywhere. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's, he's a great inspirational um, speaker, as you've uh, just found out. 
So, John, thank you, Mark. Thank you, everyone. Uh, be, be well. We look forward to seeing you at the next Talking Leaders AHTV broadcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Thanks, John. Bye -bye. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye.